course, continuing our look at the book of Galatians, the gospel truth, Paul's letter to the Galatians. And it's a powerful passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at today, and a very uncomfortable passage of scripture as well, a little bit startling to us. Uh, But before we get to that, I wanted to share with you, uh, I'm going to give you a couple of words. Every once in a while I'll introduce you to words, and so don't worry, there's not a quiz, there's not going to be a test on it later on, but I want to want you to know a little bit more about my journey uh, to become the person I am today uh, within the kingdom of God. Uh, in my major field of study, systematic theology, I have often looked at the truths of our faith throughout church history. I have looked at the idea of orthodoxy. Now, orthodoxy, if you're wondering what that means, and just bear with me if you're not, it refers to correct belief or doctrines. And I study diligently. I have, throughout my ministry, to carefully articulate true doctrine with you, my people. I never want to be found guilty of giving you unsound ideas or opinions. I want what I share with you to be grounded within the Word of God, thought out, and not about opinion or the imaginations of humanity. So that's what I have tried and I seek to do. But it wasn't, it wasn't until well into my formal studies that I found another word that became crucial for me. And I want to share that, that word with you today. And you probably have heard of orthodoxy. You may not have heard of orthopraxy. Orthopraxy. Uh, now, what that means, folks, correct practice. And in our Christian faith, it's talking about how a believer acts or performs rather than how they believe. So it's not about what do you have in your head and your heart, what happens with what you do with it? How do you live that out in this world? And it's very important, I believe, uh, that we understand. Now, I had long ago heard about practice what you preach. Um, and like many people, I usually relegated that to pastors and preachers. But that phrase means far more than that. I believe, and I need you to bear with me, hold on, I believe that how we act as Christians should carry an equal weight to what we believe as Christians. I know that you may not expect that coming from a guy who just told you his field is systematic theology. But I want to remind you, one verse kind of sums it up for me. And I mentioned it last week, so you get it two weeks in a row. James, the brother of our Lord himself, said, faith without works is what? Dead. Faith without works is dead. And so we're turning to a very important passage of Scripture today. Like I told you, when we're in Galatians, there are going to be moments we're a little uncomfortable. This is one of those moments. It's Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. So if you would stand as we look at the word together. Listen carefully with both ears and your whole heart, because this is a tough passage. 
Paul said, when Peter came to, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not, catch this line, they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew and yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? You may be seated. May God bless the reading of this word. Tough, isn't it? I said before, and I will reiterate, Paul never read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. He's being very honest and upfront in this passage of Scripture. And in this morning's text, Paul publicly confronted Peter when he saw the apostle compromising his actions when some visitors from Jerusalem show up in Antioch. This passage, as well as any other in Scripture, I believe, clearly demonstrates that correct belief should always be followed by correct action. Hear that again. Correct belief should always be followed by correct action. Now, over the weeks, our emphasis here in Galatians has been very clear, hasn't it? Over these weeks we've been in this book, we have looked at Paul dealing with doctrine. We've looked at him talk about false teachers and a false gospel. And we saw him use his own biography to try to flesh that out. Uh, and that we need to hear. There are a lot of false teachers, even in our world today. So we need to pay attention to that as much as Galatians. But there is a difference in today's text, isn't there? A different emphasis. And I believe one that has equal importance to everything we've heard before in the book of Galatians. The message is very clear. And this is what today's message is about. What we say we believe must be consistent with the way we act. What we say we believe must be consistent with the way we act. Now, why this is so important, we're going to find out by looking at two stages of our text. This is a little bit different than, than I normally do, but I want you to pay attention to what we're discovering here. And so the very first stage we're going to look at, first of all, we need to understand it's time to take a stand. That's why we're here on this earth, not to simply sit in a comfortable pew not to keep our mouths shut unless we offend. Now understand, if you offend because you're mean, that's one thing. But when you stand up for Christ, there are people who are not going to necessarily like it. So first of all, 
let's look at an example of failure. A failure to keep your belief and action in sync, working together. So here we are, years after Pentecost, years after Peter stood up boldly and said, the same Jesus you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. It's sometime since Peter went to the house of Cornelius and preached the gospel to the Gentiles. And so here we see the one who became a rock stumbling and falling and failing. So let's take a look at what that means. In Paul's account of events, we find witness to Peter's serious stumble. Peter had come to Antioch for a visit. We don't know why. We don't know when. We don't know how long it had been after his meeting with Paul in Jerusalem and James and John when they said, I'm giving you the right hand of fellowship. We have no sense of chronology here. But in the course of this day, Peter did something that was pretty amazing. He shared with the Gentile believers in Antioch a moment of intimacy, something we understand really well as Baptists. He ate with them. He sat down to eat with them. He broke bread with them. Now, this sounds a little mundane. I just said this was of great importance. He had a meal with them. How important can that be? I mean, we have meals all the time. I guarantee you, after service is dismissed, some of you are going to go out into the world and have a meal in front of people. Uh, there have been times you've had meals with coworkers. You've had meals... With neighborhoods, you've had block parties perhaps. Maybe you shared food with somebody yesterday at the uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade. Maybe you have been to a festival, a crawfish festival, and everybody's eating crawfish and you're striking. This is something we do. For us to understand why this is so important, we've got to look backward to the historical meaning and biblical perspective. Simply put, Jews did not eat with Gentiles. Period. It just didn't happen. Now, when you go back into the book of the law, uh, look at the first five books of Moses, known as the Pentateuch, there's nothing in that, in any of the law passages, that says you cannot eat with a Gentile. But Leviticus 11 lays down some principles dietary restrictions that essentially say you're not going to be able to follow this if you're eating with Gentiles. The first century Jewish person, Gentiles and their food were considered unclean, unholy. So if you go into a Gentile's home and you have a meal with them, you're going to become ceremonially unclean. You just didn't do it. It was not acceptable. It was risky. But here we find Peter overlooking what would have been a lifelong way of thought for him. Now, what happened? Well, it happened long before Peter met Paul. Peter is on the roof of one man known as Simon the Tanner. And he has a vision of a sheep coming down from heaven with all kinds of animals on it. 
And God said, get up and eat. And don't you love it when Peter every once in a while just gets a tiniest bit arrogant? God has just told him, get up and eat. He says, I've never eaten anything unkosher in my life, and I'm not about to start now. So God keeps doing it over and over again. And Peter, finally, it gets through. It gets through a lifetime of thought and practice. And Peter realized when God said, I would have loved to see Peter squirm. I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, whatever I have cleansed, don't you dare call unclean. Now I will give Peter credit. Because right about the time that happens, there's a knock on Simon's door. And it's some guys, some men from Cornelius, a Gentile who said, we've come to get Peter to come to our house. And Peter doesn't hesitate. And he goes. And he preaches the gospel because God got through. Not only can I eat whatever I want, I can't eat with anybody I choose. And, Paul, and Peter preached the gospel to Cornelius and the household was saved and God did a wonderful thing and the folks in Jerusalem didn't like it so Peter went and gave an explanation why. Basically, God told me. And God did for them exactly what He did for us. Peter had refused the Lord's command but then said, okay, I'll do it. So Paul... Paul is, is upset with Peter because Peter knows this already. He's learned this lesson. All were equal before God. And God was willing to give the Holy Spirit to Gentiles who repented and believed in Christ just like He did the Jewish brothers and sisters on the day of Pentecost. And in Acts 10.34, I will tell you as a pastor, I never enjoyed my wife or my daughter reminding me of things I've said in the pulpit. And you can figure out why I wouldn't like that. In Acts 10, 34, Peter said, Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. And that's why Peter regularly ate with the Gentiles. And that's the meaning. When he was in Antioch, he was sit it wasn't just one meal. He's sitting down and sharing several meals with these people. The Gospel had broken down the racial tension and barrier between Jew and Gentile in Jesus Christ. But then something unexpected happened. Something unplanned, something unthought of, something Peter would never have considered happening. It just happened. Something unexpected happened to cause Peter to go back to his old ways. And you get the feeling it happens almost instantly. Something happens. And Peter, all of a sudden, excuse me guys, I can't eat with you. And what happened was a group of believers came up from Jerusalem. Some folks from the Jerusalem church. And here, 
Paul says they were somehow connected to James. They came up to to Antioch, I believe, to check things out. And when they did, Paul said, Peter gave in to fear and separated himself from these people he had been having fellowship with. The word afraid is a word that means anxiety, apprehension, a dread, something bad's about to happen. The minute he sees them, Peter is going back to that stage where he's not acting like a rock anymore. He's filled with fear. And for a moment, he's dealing with, I believe, fearful doubt. When they come up and see him, would they somehow think of him as a backslider? He's, he's fellowshipping with Gentiles. Would he lose status in their sight? He was afraid. And what happened, he got up from the Gentile table and basically, folks, turned his back on them and went to eat at the Jewish student's table. Now notice how he used the word student. Because I'm pretty sure most of you, if you've ever been in public school at lunchtime, you know the clicks that happen. Jocks can't eat with stoners. And the up-and-comers aren't going to eat with the lowly, the seniors. How dare you think as a freshman you can sit at my table? Peter has just been guilty of following a click. He turns his back, quite literally, he gets up and he leaves the people. And here is what is at the heart of the fall. It's not just that Peter went to sit with some folks that he knew in Jerusalem. The reason Peter fell, he knew what the truth was. God has accepted these Gentiles. They are our brothers in Christ, our sisters in the Lord. And there's no mistake about this. He first learned that truth from Cornelius in his household. And then he celebrated that truth in the meeting with Paul in Acts 11 when he and James and John gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship saying, we're in a covenant with you. We believe you have a call of God as certainly as we do. Doctrinally, Peter was completely orthodox. He knew the truth of the gospel. But his fear of what others believe caused him to act completely contrary to what he knew what was true. He lets his fear of what they might think pull him away. And at that point, Paul had enough. At that point, Paul had enough. And when he says in verse 11 that he opposed Peter in front of everyone, it's quite literally face to face. This was not a private low-key meeting. This wasn't Paul whispering to Peter, come here, man, I need to talk to you. Uh, Paul was not concerned about sparing Peter's pride. The apostle knew 
This has got to be stopped, and it must be stopped now. So he publicly opposes Peter. And that term to talk about opposing does carry with it an element of hostility. It does show us Paul is angry. And this opposition to Peter wasn't just, I don't think you're doing what's right. He not only believed Peter to be wrong, he acted on that belief. And Peter, we're told in the NIV, was clearly in the wrong. Uh, some other translations go so far as to say Peter stood condemned. And what this means, Peter is demonstrably wrong. And Paul only has to remind him what happened in Jerusalem not long ago. What happened in Cornelius' household. You have turned your back on everything you said you believe. And to the Galatians, when Paul describes this, he uses that awful, horrible, terrible word. Hypocrisy. And this is only one of two places in all of Paul's writings that he uses the word hypocrisy. And I'm not going to try to make you guess the other people he was saying were guilty of hypocrisy. I'm just going to tell you. False teachers. False teachers who said, we know the Lord and you should follow us. And Paul said, that's hypocrisy. And he's now saying to Peter, essentially, you're a hypocrite. Ralph Kuyper paraphrase Paul's confrontation with Peter. And I love this. Peter, I smell ham on your breath. You forgot your certs. There was a time you wouldn't eat ham as part of your hope of salvation. But then you met Christ and God dealt with your heart and you knew it didn't matter anymore if you ate ham. But now, when the no-ham eaters come up from Jerusalem, you've gone back to your former ways. But the smell of ham still lingers on your breath. You are most inconsistent. I need to stress this again. Peter knew that the Galatian Gentiles were fully brothers and sisters in the Lord, but by turning aside from them, he was acting like they were second-class believers. At that moment, Peter was a hypocrite. So let's get ready for our next stage. When Paul got through reading the riot act to Peter. Second stage, let's look at the results of belief in action failing to be in sync. Let's look what happened when Peter got up and left the table that was so important it caused Paul to get angry and confront him. Well, the first result that happened when Peter broke his faith and action apart, the first result is that Peter led others into hypocrisy. Peter led others to do the same. See, apparently... There were some other Jewish believers at Antioch with Peter. And when they see Peter get up and leave the table, they do the same thing. 
they too turn their back on these Gentiles. They too distance themselves. Peter pulling away caused others to pull away. And folks, this is where it gets really bad. Even Barnabas joined in on the hypocrisy. Now let me give you a real quick rundown of Barnabas. Basically, every time we see him in Scripture, he's helping somebody. When the church of Jerusalem first started feeling the sting of people turning their faith over to Christ and losing everything, Barnabas sold everything he had and gave all of the proceeds to the poor in Jerusalem. When a certain gentleman by the name of Saul, Saul of Tarsus, got saved and nobody wanted anything to do with him, Barnabas is the one who stood beside him and actually introduced him to apostles. We find when it take, came time to take the gospel to the Gentiles, in what we now know called the first mission trip of Paul, the church at Antioch praying, being led by the Spirit, didn't just say, Saul, it's time for you to go. They said, Barnabas needs to be part of this. In fact, if you really know your book of Acts well, you'll know at first, when these two are spoken of together, it is always Barnabas and Saul. And even when Barnabas and Saul had their fights, even when they parted ways, after the first missionary journey, they were about to go back. Barnabas was standing up for a young man named John Mark. See, Mark had left him in the first journey. And Barnabas was saying, we need to give him another chance. And to the day I die, I will never understand this. If anyone on earth should ever have understood the need for a second chance, it should have been Paul. And Paul said, he can't come with us. So even in a split, Barnabas, it happens because Barnabas is trying to protect and help a young man find his footing. Many years later, when Paul is writing in his, in his epistles, he says, when you come, bring Mark with you. He's profitable for the ministry. So, when Peter got up and left that table, he led others along with him. The second result was that Peter's actions suggested that Gentiles should be compelled to accept Jewish ways. Did he stand up and say, you've got to eat kosher? No. Did he stand up and say, you, you, you can't ever have fellowship with us? No. But when he got up and left them, he was saying to them, it's more important for me to eat with these people than hang around with you. Paul's mission to the Gentiles was championed by Peter. In Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, when Paul gives his testimony of what has happened, Peter stands up and says, God's hand is all over his ministry. We need to accept that. But now what he did said something completely different. And essentially, people, what he did was try to unload some chains on these Gentiles. His actions suggested you are not fully all God wants you to be. 
you need to be like us. And Paul said, no. No. You're wrong, and it must stop. And folks, I need you to hear me. Again, both ears, whole heart. It is absolutely crucial that we come to understand the issue at hand. It is absolutely crucial that we come to understand this. I believe that we must be committed to standing for the truth of God's Word. I make no apology about that. Our faith needs to be anchored within the Word of God. Now, as an adjunct professor for New Orleans for several years, I taught theology. And I usually had to win at least half of my class over. Because some of them had been told, the seminary is going to try and steal your faith. Others have been told, theology has nothing to do with the real world. It's that old cliche, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. And many of them believe that theology is just boring. It's just dry talk and it's horrible and awful. Uh, but I told my classes, the first day of class, I'm telling you this right now. If you think about God at all, you ready? You're a theologian. If you think about God at all, you're a theologian because theology is just another way of saying thinking about God. Now the question is, are we going to be good theologians? Will we study to show ourselves approved in the Word? Will we hold on to the faith that has been delivered us through the Scripture and the faithful teaching of God's people through the centuries? It's only as we sit back and passively sit back and say, okay, feed me. And we never dig in for ourselves. We never deal with the Bible. We never study. We never let it become part of who He is. That's when it becomes very easy for us to be led astray. And it's not hard to see that many have been led astray from God's truth today. There are a lot of people out there. The Lord said, and if you listen to carefully what they're saying, it doesn't line up with the Word. If we're going to have a positive impact in the world that we live for the kingdom of God, we must know what we believe and why. You've heard me say this before. You will hear me say it again. Peter actually, in one of his letters, actually said, I'm going to keep telling you this as long as I'm alive. Kind of, when you get it right, I'll quit talking about it. So we need to know what we believe and why. But here's the, here's the second, the other side of that coin. Knowing the truth is not enough. Now don't run home and tell people I'm a heretic, please. Peter knew the truth and was led into hypocrisy by his fear. In Revelation 2, Jesus addresses the church at Ephesus. And boy, he praises them. You are orthodox. You don't ever let any amount of false teaching into your church. You're doing great. You're doing wonderful. But you need to repent. And it had nothing to do with what they believed. He said, you need to repent because you've left your first love. Somehow what they believed and the way they were living no longer meshed. 
We can only become the people God has called us to be when we hear and do the truth. Now listen to that. We can only become the people God has called us to be when we hear and do the truth. What do I mean? Well, whenever we speak about the love of Jesus, then allow hatred to flow out of our lips. We confuse the world about what our message is. When we sing, I love to tell the story and absolutely refuse to tell anybody about Jesus because we're afraid. We fail in our calling. When we gladly point out the sins, those atrocious, horrible sins that all those people out there do, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? They're, I may have faults, but they're sinners. And we're pointing out everything wrong with the world and we're ignoring where we are not following God. We're not asking God to forgive us, to change us. Then we're no longer exalting God. We are exalting ourselves. When we choose to look the other way, when the body of Christ veers from the truth, we're part of the problem. So why is this so important? Because in our failure to live our lives in line with our faith, we will lead others astray. Just like Peter. Because we fall into the trap whenever we do the, the Peter fell. When we start adding burdens to people. Did you notice again we sang a lot about grace today and how Christ has brought us our salvation. When we start adding other things to the gospel of faith through faith, grace through faith alone, we obscure the gospel that can save. Just like Peter. When I say, you need Jesus and. I am changing what the gospel means. So today, Right now. I believe that we as the body of Christ need to commit ourselves. Folks, we've got to understand it's time to take a stand. Now I will tell you the only way we will ever have our lives link up with what we believe is still through the grace of God. I'm not asking you to try harder. I'm not, ask, I'm not going to give you a list of things. You've got to do this to be right with God. I'm telling you, we need to learn to yield our lives into the hands of the Lord. And we're going to get to see one of my favorite passages of all times in the book of Galatians next week that deals with this question. How do we live the life we're called to live? Well, it comes through yielding ourselves to Christ, asking the Lord to direct us, to empower us, to sustain our spiritual growth. We need to ask God today, Lord, help what we say we believe 
to link hands with the way we live our lives. Because until we do that, folks, we can come up with whatever strategy we want to come up with to try to get lost people into our church. Until we're willing to say, Lord, help my life and my faith match, we can do whatever program you think possible. And the world will say, I'm not interested. Until they see in us what we say is true about Jesus. We lose our right to speak into their lives. So it's time for us to yield today. To yield ourselves to God. To become the people He has created us and redeemed us to be. Folks, you can't talk the talk without walking the walk. I hate to fall back on worn out cliches, but folks, it is time we practice what we preach. The people begin to see the difference in us. I look back into my life, those people who came into my life who showed that difference, were the people who caused me to want Jesus. They are the ones I heard their message. I heard their testimony. And I say, God, help me to follow an example. So today I'm asking you to open up your hearts to the Lord and ask Him, give me the grace to live what I say I believe. I'm going to ask you to bow your head at this time.